Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Keeping Up with the Card. Hard to believe we are at episode six now. We've got a couple of things to talk about for you guys. As always, I'm Els Boone alongside Jabril Taha. We're finally moved in on campus, middle of week one of classes, and excited to be back talking about Stanford sports, even if, you know, the main topic at hand, of course, football is not always as exciting to talk about in these current times. But we're going to start with football, of course. Stanford team went out to Seattle this past weekend and lost to Washington. Jabril was in person there calling the game for KZSU, got to be in the press box. Jabril, what did you see while you were in Seattle? Yeah, well, it wasn't much of a game, Els. Uh, Washington came out pretty much right away and almost put the Cardinal away early, sort of like USC did. It was over probably midway through the second quarter. It felt like definitely by early in the third quarter, you felt there was no way Stanford was coming back. The big thing on the stat sheet right now, even though Stanford averaged about six yards per play, Washington averaged about seven yards per play. But the big difference here was the sacks. Washington with eight sacks on the night against Tanner McKee and uh, Stanford with zero sacks. The front seven, once again, could not get any pressure. And even the secondary, Stanford secondary might be underperforming a little, but they weren't getting any help from their front seven. They just gave him all the, they gave Michael Penix all the time in the world to throw. And they had wide receiver one, Roma Dunes, they absolutely torched them for 161 yards. So that doesn't help. Wayne Talapapa, their running back, rushed for 120 yards against the Cardinals. So, and the offense couldn't move the ball uh, for a large stretch of the game because of those sacks. They keep getting behind the chains and it's pretty hard to do so. And when they finally did move the ball, they found a way to turn it over. Casey Fulkin slips inside the red zone. The ball bounces funny and into the hands of a Husky. Yeah, so lots of another th- losing the turnover battle badly once again. 3 nothing this time. Stanford, I think, near the bottom or at the bottom of the FBS in terms of turnover margin. And that doesn't help at all. So maybe while some of the underlying stats, you see Tanner McKee going 17 for 26 for three touchdowns. Bilkins rushing for 100 yards. That's a positive. Michael Wilson, excellent game for him, 176 yards and two touchdowns. That doesn't look like a blowout, but watching this game, Washington was by far the better team and I would say dominated the Cardinal. Yeah, I mean, watching this back in my room on campus, it also felt like Washington just dominated. There were several times where I wanted to just turn my laptop off, but I, I kept it on because I had to had to watch the whole game to be able to talk this week on the pod. But, you know, not a, not a great performance from Stanford. Anytime you give up eight sacks in a game, you know, things are not going to go your way. And that was pretty, pretty tough to watch for that, for that one. And then, you know, I do, you do have to note some of the good things. As Jabril mentioned, you know, Michael Wilson, great to see him playing up to the level that we know he can play now in his last year, in his fifth year. And then Casey Filkins also, you know, filling in, you know, he did have some, some missteps, as you mentioned, Jabril. But overall, 100 yards in his first career start, Stepping in for EJ Smith, I thought that was a good sign because, you know, we we had even more questions about the running game after it was announced that EJ Smith would be out for the game. And Casey Pilkins showed that he can, you know, be be the bell cow. So now we'll have to see if the team can put it all together. But I feel like we've been see- saying that each week on the podcast, you know, looking to see if, hey, can Stanford cut down on the turnovers? Can they cut down on the sacks? Can they, you know, run the ball well and pass the ball well, find all their targets in the passing game? And we just haven't seen that all put together yet from the Stanford offense. And hopefully, you know, hopefully it happens. We're, the team is only one and two. I was joking before we started recording the podcast. I thought the record was one and three. So I was a little happy, you know, that it's not as bad as I thought it was. But the schedule only gets tougher from here. Oregon this coming week in Eugene. Jabril will also again be on the call for that one. I know he's excited. Uh, to go up to Austin Stadium to call that one. And then Oregon State on the horizon for the first home game with students on campus. So you know that's going to be a packed student section at least. I can't say the same for the rest of the crowd. But, you know, many, many Stanford fans probably think of Oregon State as a cupcake, but not this year. 
We saw just this past weekend, Oregon State hang very, very tough, basically to the last second against USC. So it'll certainly not be an easy game against Stanford. And the Beavers honestly will probably be favored there. Yeah, certainly. You talk about ways to look at this Stanford team right now. The the negative take is, wow, the offensive line is beat up now injured. Walter Rouse and Miles Hinton are both questionable, which and alas, in my time covering Stanford football, questionable from David Shaw means about a 75 to 80% chance they're not going to play in that game. So assuming those two guys are out, the offensive line is going to be even worse than it was against Washington. The front seven is not doing anything. The secondary is underperforming a little, but again, they're not being helped by the front seven, not being able to get any pressure or stop the run, really. So I guess you can look at it in the very negative light saying, wow, if you if you are the odds makers right now, the only game Stanford's going to be favored in is against Arizona State at home. Those Oregon State and Washington State both took USC and Oregon to the brink this weekend. So Stanford won't be favored in those games at home in a near empty stadium like. But the positive way to look at this is, hey, no one expected Stanford to be a top 25 team this year. We expected them to make a bull, but not elite. And Right now, they've moved the ball at times against top top 10 USC, number six now, top 15 Washington, and against top 15 Oregon. So assuming they lose this weekend, you could say Stanford's lost and gotten outplayed by three top 15 teams. Do we know that much about where this team is in terms of bowl eligibility? Now, that's the very positive way of looking at it. But I guess you can still have that hope until that Oregon State game. Once you lose, once you drop that Oregon State game at home, if they drop it, then your path to bowl eligibility becomes really, really small. But as of now, that path is still open. And they have a, after this Oregon game, they really have to get it together. Because once you drop that game at home, those games that we looked at at the beginning of the season as toss-ups that now aren't looking too good in your favor. Yeah, once you drop that game, you're in trouble. Yeah, the margin of error certainly decreasing as each week goes by. And one thing I do want to mention also the big news from David Shaw's press conference this week on Tuesday E.J. Smith out for the rest of the season. That comes as a pretty big shock, I would say. Jabril, you, you mentioned, you know, how uh, David Shaw saying a player's questionable means there's a 75% chance they're out for the game. You know, it's kind of proving so far this season that David Shaw saying someone questionable for a game means there's a 75% chance they're out for the season. <laughs> I mean, he the same thing was said about Branson Braggs. He yeah. was questionable to start the season for a game and then came out the next week that he had to medically retire. E.J. Smith, questionable for the Washington game, also supposed to be questionable for Oregon. Now he's out for the season uh, with an undisclosed injury. He did play through it against USC, but is not able, able to go for the rest of the year, which is certainly a hit. But I think we're constantly reevaluating how much of a hit it is. It was great to see Casey Philkins rush for 100 yards, as we talked about earlier in this episode. But, you know, if Philkins can keep that up, you're certainly going to miss Smith less. But... E.J. Smith also is a very dynamic running back. We saw that in the games he did play so far this season, and it would have been nice to have both him and Philkins. They could have been a change of pace for, for each other, and I think it would have been a pretty dynamic backfield. Philkins so, is injury-prone too, though. Yeah, no, Philkins has been injured for much of his basically now three-year career on the farm. So we'll see if he can put together a full-year body of work, because if not, Caleb Robinson, a walk, is, is your starting Harris, guy. And you know, Arlen Harris, Harris yeah, Arlen Harris also is there, so... It's not looking great if Philkins can't stay healthy as the uh, as the starting running back for the Stanford. Jabril, I want to talk a little bit about Oregon this coming week. They have recovered from getting blown out by Georgia week one. You know, after that game, we were really talking about, oh, Oregon's not looking good this year. Bo Nix is not is not a great quarterback, but they've really settled in, rattled off some wins since, and now three and you know back in that ranked conversation. Bo Nix is a solid quarterback. He is he is turnover prone, but you know he started for a couple of years at Auburn in the SEC. Now he's applying his trade for Oregon in the Pac-12. Across the board, you know, Oregon's always going to be a more talented team than Stanford just because 
off recruiting rankings wise. They're going to be a faster team as always. Um, so what is, you know, what are you expecting to see? Uh, or what are your keys to the game for Stanford if they want to take down Oregon at Austin Stadium? Well, they're going to have to get some pressure on the quarterback. Oregon's offense, aside from that game against Georgia where they put up three points to open the season, which most teams wouldn't score more than 20 against Georgia. Uh, they've been fantastic, 70 against Eastern Washington, but 41 at home against BYU and 44 on the road against Washington State. Cardinal have to find somehow some way to buck that trend and stop them from scoring that many points because if they put up 40, uh, the way Stanford's off offensive line is playing, getting them behind the change repeatedly, the way Tanner McKee is taking sacks and not having the best pocket presence right now, it's really hard to see the offense putting up 40 points to keep up with this Oregon offense. So key number one is the defense has to get some pressure and the offensive line needs to be healthy. Uh, you saw what happened when Miles Hinton and Walter Rouse were both off the field last week and it was really, really ugly. And they're Stanford 17 point underdogs right now for a reason. And I think I'm going to go Oregon 41 20. That's very close to what I was thinking in my head for a score prediction. I'm going to go 42 21 in favor of the Ducks. I think it's going to be another rough on the road for the Cardinal. And then coming back for Oregon State next week at home, hoping they can regroup and put up a pretty respectable showing in front of all the students back on campus. But yeah, I, I just think this Oregon game is very tough especially with the injuries on the offensive line. You know, if we do end up seeing Walter Rouse or Miles Hinton play in this game, it won't be at 100%, and we know that. And so if, if the offensive line isn't at 100%, I, I think it's going to be hard to see Tanner McKee get a, get a like, be, be good in the pocket, be safe in the pocket, and be able to get the ball cleanly to his receivers. And Casey Filkins, hopefully he can step it up again. He's returning home. He is from the state of Oregon. He actually, I think, is one of the best running backs in the history of Oregon high school football. And so hopefully, you know, that'll give him some more urgency in this game. Not that he didn't have urgency before, but I know he's going to be excited to kind of take it to his hometown team. And so we'll see what kind of performance you get out of Stanford this week. Is it going to be a turnover prone team? Are they going to give up eight sacks again? We will see. And that's kind of what you get with Stanford, Stanford football. You know, you never really know what to expect or what Stanford's going to show up. Because last year, I mean, we, we saw Stanford come out and win that game in over. So you really never know what to expect, but that's going to close it for our football discussion. We're going to move right along, talking about some other sports. Volleyball, of course, another sport we like to give a lot of coverage to. They started Pac-12 play last week, beating Cal, but then getting swept at Oregon 3-0. And then they return home this coming week to play Washington and Washington State. Jabril, what are, what are your thoughts on the on the volleyball team? And what did you think about that loss to Oregon? Yeah, so important to note that starting middle blocker Sammy Francis wasn't available for either of those games. She was listed as questionable on Wednesday night against Cal for that Oregon game, ended up not being able to make that Oregon game. So hopefully Sammy Francis is back this weekend. But yeah, that was not a very con convincing sweep of Cal. 25-23, 25-21, 25-22. Uh, Cal was in all of those sets. Uh, definitely nothing convincing there from Stanford. But they got the job done on the road, which is always something. You got to take your wins where you can get them, especially on the road. And against Oregon, I was very worried about this game going into it, and I was proved. But two of the sets weren't close. Two weren't close, 25-19, 25-17. And then the second set was quite close. Stanford had a couple set points, so they should have closed out the set, but ended up losing 27-25. So Oregon was just clearly the better team that day. I think Oregon's a much more consistent team than Stanford is. Stanford is plagued by inconsistency throughout this season, and it has lots of us worried that they're going to end up dropping quite a few games here against Pac-12 plays, especially against these teams like UCLA and Utah, who have a bunch of talent but are just underperforming right now. I think Stanford might be susceptible to those teams if they can't figure out this consistency. But they have a big opportunity this weekend. Looking for their first home win of the season. Of course, their two home games so far have been against the top two teams in the country, so no harm there. 
But number 17, Washington comes to the farm on Friday, and then Washington State comes on Sunday. That Those two games for me are really, really important to establish their presence at home. And the Washington's one of the teams they're going to be competing with for the Pac-12 crown, so you really want to win that one. And yeah, back to Oregon, that they're not going to face Oregon again this year unless they face them in the tournament as that's one of the teams they miss out on. So overall, not the best week for volleyball. They dropped down to number nine in the AVCA pool. Still waiting for those RPI rankings to come out to really see how they match up in the metric that the selection committee uses. But yeah, not the best week for volleyball, but nowhere near time to hit the panic meter there. They're going to be just fine, I think, cruising to a top 16 seed. Yeah, still still very early for them. Good to Good to know that the Oregon loss, you know, doesn't really drop them out of that top 16 seed conversation. But uh, continuing to move right along here with the soccer teams, it's it's been a rough, rough couple of weeks for the women's team. Losing to USC this past week and the week before, you know, they they drew Santa Clara at the last minute. Santa Clara, of course, not being as good this year as they had been in the last couple of years. They have now dropped out of the top 25 and are just receiving votes in the in the call in the women's soccer poll. And this week they've got two two games uh, university of arizona and asu on the arizona road trip so we'll see if they can get it turned around here in the state of arizona the team is still very very talented and i i, I believe i believe in the talent of the team but just for some reason the past couple of weeks you know they haven't really been able to put it together but the, the talent is there they've got the number one recruit from the year before elise evans in the defense andrea kitahata still hasn't really been playing that much since she returned from the u20 national camp she was probably the second best player in the team last year behind Maya Doms. So it's, it's that, that decision there has been in- interesting. Obviously we don't know the behind the scenes, but I'm interested to see how women's soccer can rebound this week and if they can get back into the rank conversation, because I know they have the talent to compete with those top 10 teams in the country and, you know, kind of make a push in the NCAA tournament. But going along with the men's team after, after a week, a week and a half, really, if not scoring a single goal and drawing their first, their first couple of Pac-12 matches, they went down to Santa Barbara and beat UCSB 2-1 this past week, and now number six in the country. So, you know, they got back on track in the winning column, scored some goals finally, which was nice to see, and, you know, kept kept their, their really high ranking. This week, they've just got one match, but it is the big Classico. They're playing host to Cal, so that always is a big one on Thursday. Jabril and I were going to co- commentate it on KZSU, but we're not able to because of a conflict. But, you know, it'll still be a great match to watch. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see what the men's team can do in the next couple of weeks as Pac-12 play ramps up even more. And one shout out we want to give to one of the Stanford teams really impressing right now is the men's water polo team. They're 13-0. And in the past week, they took down number one Cal and number two UC. And so they are, they are one now. Yeah, number one. So now, yeah, the, the water polo team is number one now, and they may be our, you know, our first, you know, if we start our national championship tracker for the year, they've got to be in that number one spot on who we have our eyes on to get that that national championship first this year. Because, you know, at Stanford, we kind of expect a couple of teams to win the Natty each Have that streak going. Yeah, so, you know, you've got, the, you've got the streak going. Will water polo be the team, the men's water polo team, I should say, be the team that, you know, keeps the streak. They certainly have been strong, still undefeated. It was great to see those wins this past week. But yeah, that was really it for our Around the Farm segment. We talked about football. We went around the farm, as I just said, talked about volleyball, soccer teams, and men's water polo. We'll be bringing you more coverage next week on our episode as we recap Oregon and look ahead to Oregon State. And we'll also have a special guest for you guys next week. So thanks for tuning in. As always, this was Keeping Up with the Card with Ellis Boone and Jabril Taha. Thanks for listening.